Welcome. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a podcast constructed to enrich our tech community by connecting some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I am Christopher Asbridge, and I help connect businesses with talented freelancers, and I will be your host. Today, I am joined by Simon, and former head of product at The Economy, Ryan, a former CPO at Ace Portal, and Frederick, um, director of product at Monumentum. Monumentum, sorry. Today we're here to discuss anything products, scale up, product leadership. Pretty interesting. I've done quite a few of these now. This is my, I think, our third installment. So it'll be good to see where this goes. But before we go any further, let's do a round of introductions. Frederick, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Yeah, so hi. I'm uh, Frederick. So uh, I work at a company called Montonio, which is doing payments, uh, more or less. And uh, my background is, is very much within payments. I've done payments and consumer credit for... I think the last 20 years probably. And I've been uh, at the incumbent legacy banks. I've been with the big fintechs and now I'm at a very, very small startup. We have just grown from around 20 people to around 60 people right now. So um, that's me, Morris. Okay, thank you very much. Brian, you're up next. Hey, so yeah, I'm from Australia. Been living up in Scandinavia the past six years or so. Uh, I have more of a business background than a technical engineering background, uh, but I started out as a lawyer, actually. But it was a bit slow and hierarchical, so I, I stumbled into product in, in spending in time in startups for a few years, and I just really fell in love with it. So I've spent most of the last 10 years playing around in different product contexts, half of those in kind of individual contributor roles, like a product manager and half of those in sort of more leadership roles in head of product or chief product officer. Uh, most recently at the esports uh, company, esports. Um, yeah, it's a bit about me. Awesome, thank you very much. I'll ask by but no means least, um, Simon. Yeah, thank you for having us here, Christopher. So I'm Simon. Um, I've been working with product development my, my whole career. Um, I started more on the engineering side with configuration management and development, but uh, have lately fallen in love with the product manager role. So I've been fortunate enough to see quite a lot of different industries um, in my role as a product manager. Um, I've seen gaming industry, I've seen, I work for an AI company, uh, FinTech and now climate tech. Uh, very challenging, very, very interesting industry. Um, we might have more reasons to talk about that at another time, but very interesting, very good to be here. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, now we've all established the context of each other. Let's move forward and talk talk about the topic at Focus. And this is going to be the third installment of Anything Product. Today, we're going to be focusing on scale up product leadership. Um, so I've reached out to you, each of you and you've all brought a question. Um, who I want to start with first is Simon. And now, Simon, your question that you brought was, what are the leadership principles um, that you that you have when building a scale? Can you just explain a little bit further for us, please? Yeah. So, I mean, product management is a is a tough role. There's a lot of things happening, and um, there's lots of information that you get. There's a lot of decisions that needs to be made, and of course, we're standing on the um, on our previous experience when making decisions and taking directions. But I've also found that, you know, as, 
as you grow in experience, it's really helpful to have principles. Um, we have principles in different levels. This could be on a sort of personal level, where the principles that I have for my self-management. Um, we have product principles, you know, a customer should never have to enter data twice, might be a, a product principle. Um, but also leadership principles, and especially in a scale-up, there's so much happening very, very quickly. Um, we have to be on toes. So with time, we develop principles, and I think it would be really interesting to, to elaborate a little bit on what are the principles that you use in your leadership in a scale-up in particular, and how you come to that, to the conclusion why, why you use these. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much, Simon. Um, who would like to go first? Ryan, please go ahead. Sure. Uh, I, I can mention one that sort of comes to mind for me. Uh, and, I, and I think it's it's one that's particularly interesting in the scale-up context. And that's uh, it's the, the importance of self-awareness. I mean, and the reason I mentioned that one in particular is, you know, in a scale-up context, uh, you're not quite as large, mature, specialized type of roles and, and company. Your, your roles are a bit more broader. And I mean, you can't be an expert at every little single thing. So, I mean, uh, you know, an awareness of the things, the areas where you add the most value and the areas where you, you know, know the most and know the least is really important because, you know, you're not expected to be an expert in every little detail in a smaller size company the way that you are in more heavily defined roles in larger size companies. So I think that's one that I've found interested, not only in my role, but, you know, helping to create a, yeah, a culture where it's anyone in your team or anyone that you collaborate with is is comfortable kind of expressing that themselves. Simon, do you feel that there are, let's say, certain leadership, let's say, principles or criteria that you, you're, you yourself, let's say, have seen more important or, let's say, successful than others? Yeah, I mean, I think self-awareness is really is a really good example. Um, I think for for myself, one of the things that you know, when when you're leading an organization, and and what is in, is important from a from an organization point of view, especially in a in a scale up, it's um, you you kind of have to remember why you're here. And so the, the principle that that I use and that we talk about a lot in our product management meetings, etc., is everything starts with the customer. Um, there, there are quite a lot of companies that, that loses sight of this, I think, and just sort of constantly coming back to who are the ones that we're actually serving here, what are their needs, their challenges, knowing, I mean, just starting by knowing who your customers are. I've seen it's not something that every organization where I worked have been aware of or have really been able to articulate in a good way. Um, so I think this is <clears throat> this is very important to sort of come back to who are we serving, why are we serving them, what are their challenges, uh, how do we create delights in their experiences, um, and also what is it that make these customers come back. Now maybe I should be clear about this because when I'm saying that everything starts with the customer, that doesn't necessarily mean that the customer is always right. I think there is a difference here. Um, we need to figure out the things that the customers are saying and what they're not saying as well to create this really valuable, delightful uh, experience for a customer. So I think that that's where I that's where I personally start in um, in sort of directing an organization and teams in 
who are you serving? Why are you serving them? What are the needs? How do we how do we solve it? Mm. Maybe there is like one aspect also of, of of let's say adjusting a little bit, let's say to to the unknown. And said, I think Brian, you were into that. I feel I will. I mean, there, it's so easy more or less to talk about the, the focus on the customer and the customers in the centre. Let's say is, is in the centre and being customer centric, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I mean, some people really, uh, let's say, product managers really. Let's say set themselves aside from from let's say the the medium let's say performing ones to the really high performing ones, and I feel that they are also let's say really delivering let's say creating outputs every day and have this strong strong focus on delivery and output and let's say creating value let's say every day. And in the smaller company, what I feel now, let's say working in a much, much smaller company now, like a small startup, is that the the ability to, let's say, tackle any type of challenge and the ability to, I mean, one, one time is like in a discussion with an engineer about something very, very specific. And the next thing is, is like working with a designer in, in doing user research or, let's say, meeting someone. Or the next thing is, let's say, just writing documentation and, and making something public on the web page. And I think this, let's say, adjustability, I guess it's it's much more important, let's say, in a smaller company, at least in my opinion, than in the bigger company where there might be other people who pick up on those things where you maybe not be as strong or something like that. So how, how do you know when to adjust them? Uh, what do you mean by that? How? So if you adjust them, um, what are the sort of the, the gauges do you use? Um, when do you know to? Pivot. Let's say in, in hiring and finding uh, these people, or let's say, or when you when you work with them, or let's say, in, in what context? So for um, so for you with your product, for example. So you you build a product, um, you learn something, and and you feel that it's not time for us to adjust. Do you do you have how do you work with that sort of challenge of of um, Adjusting and pivoting. I think this. Uh, so I, let's say the, the way I see it is that in in the smaller company, let's say the 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 leadership, let's say criteria that we would seek from let's say a PM in a smaller company, let's say or in a smaller let's say startup context. In in my thinking, he or she is much more let's say agile to to let's say changes in in let's say what we do on every day and is much more. Uh, or maybe not much more, but it's let's say is is very flexible in in let's say what tasks should be at hand, let's say for the day, or uh, what are key, let's say at this this point in time, and and so on, and let's say seeking, let's say what criteria or or what let's say traits or characteristics we seek in let's say these people. I think that that ability is very very important in in the smaller context. Did I answer your question? Yeah. No. It's it's good. I also find it's very helpful. I mean, um, like measurements and metrics, for example. Um, you know, without them, we're blind. And depending on you know how we set up our metrics and how we how we work with metrics, both qualitative and quantitative insights yeah. um, is one of the best ways that I find to know. Okay, how are things going here? Are we are we going the right direction? Are we getting the uh, are we moving the needle, quote unquote, that we would like to move? And, and is is there a need for us to make any changes here? Um, and and just one follow up on that. You pointed out before. I think you, you mentioned you know one key principle uh, for for you has been kind of like the customer centric, user centric uh, 
focus of the product development. And and I just wonder, like, if, if you have any take on, I mean, to what extent that looks different or the same in a in a larger organization? Um, I think it's easy to lose sight of it in any organization. And um, I think, um, I mean, when you when you're very small, that that's the way to sort of prove yourself that you have a uh, a product market fit. Hopefully, when you get to to scale up, you've you've sort of find that fit a little bit, and you're sort of pouring rocket fuel on whatever you you know whatever you're doing, where you're developing, and um, you might have investors that come in and add more money to it, so that you can really scale up. Um, but but it's easy to get blinded by by what's happening on. On the market, for example, and, and behaviors change, and in the, the market changes. Um, so I think I think it's hard in any organization. I think it's especially the, there's so many things in a larger organization that you can get lost in. But I also think in a larger larger organization, it it can become a lot fuzzier who your customers are um, when you get to the point where. You know, you might have platform teams and you might have, you know, teams that just serving the needs of other teams, then your customer isn't necessarily your end customer, but your customer in, in those product teams are your internal customers. So um, I think it's it's very important to be very clear about who your customers are independently of what product team you are um, and recognizing that they're both end customers, internal customers, but we as a product team need to serve them with what we're doing. Our, our mission is to serve them. So coming back to, let's say, the data-driven, let's say, approach, I like it a lot because I, I think uh, I think that is also, let's say, very, very characteristic, let's say, for a, a good PM, that they are very, let's say, data-driven. But I'm thinking, let's say, in my current context, that a lot of, let's say, what we're building and let's say what's in the roadmap, et cetera, is very much, let's say, defined by, I mean, the founders of the company, let's say, the, the let's say, shareholders or investors, let's say, relationship and what's agreed with them and so on. And a lot of the things that we're doing, let's say, on a day-to-day basis is also, I would say, a bit predefined, if I can say. And I'm thinking that, let's say, part of, of let's say the smallest startup let's say type role is is much around let's say just deliver a lot of stuff that is already agreed in a sense it's just like like a shitload of things that needs to be done versus let's say in the bigger organization this data-driven approach let's say doing all the research getting the final statistics and analytics and all of those things is also let's say becoming the day-to-day practice that you go into the office you look at the let's say the data and and you try to take actions on it and I feel actually that uh, it's less of that to say at least where I am right now which is not like a bad thing but I think it's 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 just a different type of, of, of work. Yeah, it's an interesting aspect because, I mean, as you're saying, as a startup is sort of built on a bet. Um, you know, you start with an idea that you want to be able to uh, validate and, and that is the uh, the fuel in, in the early journey of a company. It's a, it's a very important phase and, you know, the, the visionary entrepreneurs that we have out there, they they have bets that they believe very strongly and, and go for it. Um, so, of course, that's an important aspect of it. I think once the once the the company start growing though, and you get into a a scale up, um, when you are, as I mentioned, when you're pouring rocket fuel on what you're doing, um, you know it can it can go bad really quickly, um, unless you have your 
your gauges, your dashboards, just sort of idea of where you're going and heading and, and getting that sort of insights from outside, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I mean, now let's say where we are in the world right now this day, I mean, how many scale ups today are just downsizing because they have grown, let's say, without, uh, let's say, if I can say without control. So, I mean, this, let's say, data driven approach is probably like super important. Okay, so I think you had a quite good discussion there, chaps. Um, Sam, does that sort of like answer your question? Yes, it's uh, very insightful. So, um, I appreciate the feedback from both Ryan and Frederick. Thank you. Okay, awesome, awesome. What we'll do, we'll, we'll move forward. Then. Ryan, we'll come to you next. Ryan, you brought the question: How should scale-ups balance this and uh, the speed versus quality of their deliveries? Now, can you elaborate on a little bit, a little bit further on that one? Yeah, sure. So I think I mean this one's been an interesting one, uh, at least in the context I've worked in. So I'm I'm keen to hear what your guys' experience and thoughts are as well. Uh, I mean, I mean. Quality in this context, I intentionally define vaguely, but generally alluding to like, I mean, how perfect should the end solutions that we deliver be? Um, you know, is it worth investing loads of time into discovery, user and technical testing, uh, you know, multiple rounds of feedback? Uh, all of that might get you closer to a perfect solution, but it will also come at the cost of time. Um, and in general, you know, my, my feeling is that, I mean, you, you touched on a bit before, Simon, with, you know, pouring rocket fuel, uh, once you have a product market fit and, you know, every industry has its own unique challenges and things like that. But in general, my feeling is sort of like, you know, the larger a company becomes, the more they value quality and the less they value speed and vice versa for smaller companies. But the interesting thing for scale-ups is that they're somewhere in the middle. So, I mean, how do you balance this trade-off for a scale-up and how do you communicate it in a way that everyone can have a shared understanding of what you're aiming for? So, yeah, I'm keen to hear what you guys think in this space. It's always a very relevant question, this. It's a very good one. Um, I think it depends on a little bit of what the the consequences are if you get it wrong um, and how, and maybe especially how um, how fast you can fix it. If if something goes wrong, um, I worked at some companies that you know they've been very dedicated to fix to sort of build their CI uh, continuous delivery uh, tool chain and and they they've done releases multiple times a day and it's very easy to test them. It's very easy to release something to say okay we we've now built this let's get it out um if it if it didn't work or if there was something wrong with it it was it's very easy to to roll back as well i think it depends a little bit on how um what the consequences are if you get something wrong i've been at other places where the release chain release tool chain has been really really bad and it's taken months to fix something and of course then the customer is living with a with a problem in their in their products for for a very long time and then you need to spend more time on, on making sure it gets right when you when you release it so i think it depends on a little bit on how uh, the consequences of getting it wrong yeah. I feel fun. i'm very very emotional i think speed is always the thing like always and 
I mean, I'm, I, I become very emotional on this one. I think, let's say, from a customer point of view, just getting things out there and get some sort of feedback, either is, let's say, super good or super bad, but still it's, it's feedback and it's much, much better. From a team success point of view, I mean, delivering and shipping stuff is like the best thing we do. And I think that every team, and this is also like one of the biggest learnings I've done, that as, let's say, a team and as a PM or as multiple teams, et cetera, the only thing that matters is how much we deliver, let's say, as output in a sense. We can build the best thing, but if we don't ship it, it's not worth anything. And then just from a company agenda as well. I mean, if you think about, let's say, you serving the customer and, let's say, doing stuff for, let's say, for the value of the customer, the value of the company, et cetera, et cetera, I think just bringing things to them is the most important thing. And, I mean, if you think about the big company, it it, it needs to deliver more. I mean, speed is the thing. If you think about the small company, it needs to deliver with speed because that's what, let's say, make the, the company successful. So I would say in all of the cases, that's the thing. And even for regulated products, meaning that even if you have your supervisory, let's say, thing, you still need to deliver with speed. All in. All in on speed. I mean, I, uh, I, I wonder, I mean, how you balance the, I mean, it, it's relevant to what industry you mentioned. If you, as you say, if you've got a facial ID or security product, I mean, you, you don't want to rush something out too quick, but, and, but if your user expectations, uh, you know, your early adopters, your smaller company, maybe there's bugs around, maybe it doesn't, it's not an exact product fit, but the early adopters are going to be fine. But I mean, if, if you've got millions of users and you've got one problem, I mean, the impact of a small thing can scale so much. So I, I, I'm wondering a bit how you, you balance that with like the user expectations of, uh, of who you're delivering the, the thing to and, and the risk that comes with a, with a larger company. I mean, if you, if you make a mistake when you're, you're small, the, the risks are not so big and you have to take risks. But when you are a larger company and you take a risk, is it, is it worth it? Yeah, but I mean, isn't it, let's say, a little bit, let's say, what, what the, let's say, feature or product or service, what it is? I mean, if you're building, let's say, the, the ignition, let's say, thing to the, let's say, space rocket, I, I mean, it's a different thing, right? But I think for, let's say, what most of us work with, let's say, today is some sort of, let's say, internet-enabled, let's say, app or feature or service, etc. And the way I see it is that, let's say, for us to be relevant as a team, as a PM, as, let's say, as working with the product, we need to get the users to, let's say, test and use what we do. And I would say that we always find, let's say not always, but many times we find reasons, let's say, for saying, no, we just want to verify this a bit more, or no, we want to do more user testing, et cetera, where we can do that, I feel also, let's say, with real customers and get real feedback and so on. Then what I feel happens, let's say, sometimes is that we do release something that don't have the right quality and so on. Uh, but I guess it's also part of, let's say, the process to try to stretch the teams, to try to have this, let's say, mentality of, let's say, continuous output, continuous delivery, and let's say the whole speed, let's say, going back to leadership, I mean, to, to hire people also that really, really want to deliver and have this continuous, let's say, output from the team and embedding that, let's say, culture into the team, I think is super important. And then quality should not be, let's say, avoided, but if there is like, Either on or off, I would say speed. Nice. And then maybe one just last question for me, because I mean, I'm 
pretty interested in your passion here for the speed. And and then like I mean, so I mean there must be some times when uh, you know you can do the nasty solution now or the kind of the quick approach, uh, and you can solve this user journey, fix this bug, or you can do some sort of more scalable solution that will fix this for more than a few weeks it'll fix it for a few months or a few years i mean the fixing the the quick fix might be good uh, in the short term the longer fix might be good for the longer term but it is what you're saying that the user feedback and the the iteration loop is is worth it it makes up the gap is that kind of where you're Simon before i i answer so what's your view on this yeah so i mean the value of speed is incredibly important. And I think what you're touching upon now in terms of should we should we ship something that you know we know we can have now but might not be able to work later on. Um, I would also tend to go for um for a fast solution now. So we, we need to build for where we are and we need to we need to embed into our product teams and our organization that it's okay to redo it later. Because I think there's a lot of times where we we have this idea that of course we should build this. We have to build it so to work for today and tomorrow and the week after and years after. And I think then you're getting into a, um, a dangerous territory. Um, it's okay to take depths in a company. It's okay to take technical depths, if you so want to say, in order to get things out, to see that it works. And when it's validated, there there are opportunities later on to rebuild things to work for next year, for the year after. Um, so um, the passion for speed is shared, certainly. Um, I think it is very important to get out for all the reasons that Frederick was touching upon. Um, and it's okay to build in some technical debt. I, I think it could, um, the economics of technical debt can be very, very good uh, to get feedback and to get features out there for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, from, from my own experience, so once we built like a solution that had, um, I would say quite technical, let's say user interactions in it. So I think, let's say when, when we launched this and when it became available to the public, Let's say we as a company where I worked at that point in time, we realized that this is not let's say, a good enough solution. So at this case, I mean, speed was, let's say, it, we, we released that, let's say, the wrong speed. It's, I would say it's very, very difficult to, let's say, say, would we have made a better solution if we would have, let's say, uh, reworked that or, let's say, refactored it, let's say, once more or did, some, let's say, extra user testing or, or whatever. I feel that, let's say, it's a very tricky thing. I I think that let's say planning for the future or uncertainty is very difficult and most likely what you will build will work much longer than expected and then suddenly that extra time I think you could have done something else maybe I mean I it's difficult to say right but I think <clears throat> I mentioned the the economics of technical debt I think once once the technical debt starts to be a hindrance for the speed in which you can deliver then you need to be really really careful about technical debt so there will be a time where you know you build in technical debt into your product and you can keep you can keep having a high pace um, but once the technical debt comes to the point that it's now starting to be really hard or difficult to start releasing things uh, you need to start paying back that that debt mm -hmm. That's that's sometimes difficult. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're growing enough to minimize it. 
So, and Ryan, what's your view, let's say? So, how do you feel about this? Um, I mean, it's something I'm still balancing, trying to uh, learn about more with time. I mean, I think generally, uh, sort of aligned with you guys. I mean, it's much it's much better to release something you know is not perfect and and learn with you know some user feedback and and instead of testing it ten times, uh, you can get instant feedback when you release it. And and as you mentioned earlier, Simon, I mean, if you're if the ability to you know roll back that is really complicated, then maybe you would think about it one more time. But if it's if it's industry if in the context it's not too hard to roll back, if you're not taking massive risks because the, the industry you're in, you're going to break regulatory and security protocols and, and things like this, and you're not too far off that balance of your user expectations, uh, then then speed is is probably more valuable than quality uh, in a scale-up context. But uh, I'm, I, I'm still a bit skeptical if, if larger organizations would, would agree. Uh, it, just because as the implications of uh, doing something, releasing something which causes a problem and, you know, you annoy tens of thousands of customers and cause some retention risk. I don't know if the value trade-off is, is still worth it in a larger context, but I, I think in a scale-up context, I sort of generally similar page to you guys and it was really interesting to hear your thoughts. I think also in a larger organization, there are, there are other risks that become... Um, more accentuated if if you get it wrong. Um, so you might not have you might not just have annoyed customers because it doesn't work, um, but it could also cause brand risks and um, and things like that. And that's <clears throat> I think that's something that every company needs to be careful about their brand. Um, the the consequences of getting um, a nourish brand for for a large company can be very very big as well. So. I think that's also something that you need to take into consideration when the company starts becoming a lot bigger. Um, but isn't the let's say isn't the the need for speed, if I can say, even greater? Let's say in, in this bigger company, we're working with a supplier now. So this supplier is, I would say, a, a growing company, and the let's say when when so I mean the teams are agile of course let's say as here let's say in a small startup and when we are talking let's say what we build and what we develop we want to have let's say an interaction and a day-to-day more or less let's say just available let's say can we get access to the sandbox can we start the code can we do stuff and this company is I would say rather the opposite they want to make sure they have written documentation on everything they want to, let's say, produce all the outputs. They want to do like, it's, it's an old proper waterfall type thing, but they in their mind are, let's say, super agile. Still, let's say a release for them is like months ahead. And for me, that is just, let's say, a legacy incumbent type way of working that is not, let's say, this modern agile company that we want to represent. So let's say from a theoretical point of view, if we want to be this agile scale up, or if we want to be this, let's say, expanding new business, I think we need to almost, let's say, abandon the idea of this, let's say, quality assurance, very rigid, let's say, process of, let's say, going through a number of phases, etc. It's almost like a mental, mental, let's say, mindset of saying we need to do something different. Okay, cool. It sounds like everyone had a bit of a different side of a coin there going into that. Obviously, Frederick's coming straight in, like, we need the speed right now. <laughs> and so Ryan's a bit more, eh, let's look at the quality and see, see what happens. So it's always good to have them sort of discussions to find out what needs to be spoke about. Now, 
Ryan, what were your thoughts there? Any closing factors there? I think we kind of wrapped it up a bit before, but I mean, I mean, there's a contextual element to it, but I, I think in general, it's it's better to lean on the speed uh, in the scale-up context. You, you'll learn more from the mistakes than you will from the waiting for perfection. So, uh, yeah, it was really interesting to hear the thoughts. Okay, okay. And let's move on to Mr. Speed. Frederick, um, you're the last, but not like, nobody's least. Um, you brought me a question to discuss saying, um, what should a small startup prioritize in relation to product comp- uh, competence practices? What are the things we need to do and absolutely don't want to not do versus the not so important? That is a bit of a mouthful to say, but can you elaborate for it? Yeah, so, I mean, let's say my background. So I'm coming from, you know, the legacy incumbent type way going into the bigger fintech. And now I'm working in a small startup, let's say a small payments company, and I'm working with products. So in this company, so I would say it's a super talented group of people. It's, I would say, engineering led, let's say, from start. And I'm joining, let's say, a team of, let's say, one existing PM, and it's a she. And she's absolutely amazing, fantastic, and is a brilliant PM. And let's say what we what we need to do, let's say, in this small company is to prepare the company for growth. We need to make, let's say, this a platform to, let's say, scale and grow and become, let's say, a successful company. We need to take responsibility for the investors' money, et cetera, et cetera. But what I'm what I'm thinking about is let's say what what do we absolutely, let's say, need to make sure is part, let's say, of, of what the product competence is. And I mean, everything, I mean, the basic stuff like the planning and the road mapping and the team rhythm work and, let's say, the design focused things and doing all the outputs and, and I mean, doing some testing and user validation. I think we understand that. But what I'm, what I'm very, very interested to hear is, let's say, your view on what should we absolutely not let's say miss what is the most important thing let's say as you see that this is let's say the base foundation thing Frederick, that you need uh, let's say to be there and let's say that you can work with your colleagues in the company with i would be super glad to have your input there uh struggling a bit to to dig into that one but i, I can take a like a first step um i mean i, th- I think for me especially for smaller companies i mean the all of your features and all of your processes and and all of uh, the agile philosophies and lean decision making and all of that i mean they're they're tools to get you from uh, some form of goal uh, you know to to some sort of outcome of the of the code of the release and and so i think you know therefore the the, the best thing you can do is to provide you know the clearest type of goals and KPIs you really want to target. And then, you know, which features and which processes and how you get to that outcome, uh, you know, you can work out more, you know, as it comes, more ad hoc, and those things will evolve with time. And, you know, you'll find your way, and of course you can improve it and iterate all that stuff a hundred times. But without the goal, you might not ever get the outcome that you that you want. So for me, that's really uh, where I, try and start and the rest uh, can come later. Yeah, I'm going to pick it back on that one because I think you're on something very important. The, the, the way I phrase this as sort of my my most important job as a product manager or head of product or CPO or whatever role you have is that working with product development. Uh, my, my most important role is what's the, what's the direction 
and how do we create the alignment around that? So the direction and the alignment. And I think this is what you're talking about when it comes to what are our KPIs, what are the goals that we are striving for, what is the what is the bullseye that we're trying to hit? Um, and fair enough, that can change with time. And you know, we learn things and we we discover things. So maybe the the goal changes a little bit, and that's okay. Um, but I think that that's one side of it that we contribute as product managers in terms of uh, this is the direction we're going, um, and also within the company, how do we then create alignment around that so that we're all going in that direction? I think unless we're aligned on where we're going, and and this could be a, a difficult process sometimes because we see things from different perspectives, but unless we are aligned on where we're going, we're never going to get the speed that you're talking about, Frederick. Uh, you know, we, we that. That direction and that alignment helps us to be really fast um, because everyone knows what what they're striving for. How let's say this north star, if I can say. So how how far ahead is this? Let's say in your view. Well, that's a very good question. Um, I um, I work in climate tech just now, <laughs> and this is a new market. It's a market that absolutely explodes right now. Unless you've been sort of uh, hiding under a stone somewhere you would know the challenges of our, our of the climate. And and we have customers all over the world that comes to us and say, hey, can we do something? Uh, but it also poses the challenge that it's very, very hard to say what our product is going to look like in 12 months or in 24 months. It's almost impossible. Uh, we have to we have to take bets. Uh, we have to say we're setting the direction. We, th we think this is where we're going, um, but we also need to be very agile and adapt to that. In in the market and in the industry where, where we are operating just now, it's hard to have more than um, 12, 18 months uh, horizon, at, at least as it is just now. I think in some of the more mature industries, it's easier to, um, to have more foresight than that. But that's my experience. That leads me a little bit, let's say, to, so we have, I, I fully agree on, let's say, the, the direction and the, let's say, uh, the, the outcomes part, but it also stresses, let's say, the need to validate that in some way. So, I mean, we, we, have, we have an idea of something we want to build and we are, let's say, spending every person we have, let's say, to build it. But how do we, let's say, how do we establish, let's say, practices to make sure that we're on track? And how do we, let's say, get the feedback? And how do we get, let's say, the the the, the stamp on that, let's say, we're doing the right thing and shouldn't do something else? I mean, I guess that's one of the big challenges for that journey between a startup and a scale-up. I mean, you've, you've got a certain amount of investment, you've got a certain burn rate, and you've got to find that fit. Uh, and you've got to do whatever you can to find that fit before uh, it fizzles out. So, I mean, you you can explore all sorts of different angles. You can go really wide with your roadmap, try out a whole bunch of different things because uh, you want to get to that place as quickly as you can. And then if you manage to get there, we can do Simon's uh, throw throw oil on the fire and just go all in. But uh, it, that's, the, that's the tipping point, I guess, that you want to try and get to. How important is it to visualize this, let's say, future let's say 12 months or 18 months, let's say. So Simon, as an example, let's say in your, in your new, let's say, environmental tech, let's say, type thing, how do you, how do you make, let's say, your vision and the future and what you're building come live, let's say? Uh, yeah, we use a, a few different techniques. Um, obviously, we do, I mean, we try to do mock-ups. Um, 
and doing mock-ups is also coming back a little bit to your previous question you know i think it it also depends a little bit on how much are you willing to bet how, how confident are you on your bet and you know if you're very confident don't waste your time on doing mock-ups just build it if you're not very confident you know you're not willing to to throw your pension on it or a car or even a lunch you know maybe, maybe you need to adjust a little bit on how much you invest in before you take anything further but i mean we we use mock-ups we sit together with our customers a lot and explore ideas uh, both through presentations but also through uh, clickable mock-ups and, and that's a way for us to both align on what we're doing internally, as well as getting validation from customers and potential customers, whether they would find something um, valuable or not. And then we try. I mean, it's not very hard to create a website that shows the concept and you can, you know, post it on some big square or someone somewhere and say, hey, this is one of the things that we've done. So. I mean, sometimes we go all in, build the first MVP and just show it and say, this is now live um, and get funding for it afterwards. Um, so so we have various ways of, of doing that. Um, everything from just a simple conversation to a presentation to a clickable uh, prototype to actually trying something because we believe so strongly in the concept and the idea. Interesting. And I think the trick is to, uh, you know, as as I mentioned before, the validation you want to put into it um, needs to be equal to what you're trying to invest here. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. I, I, I very much agree. Right, do you have any further thoughts? Sorry, I didn't catch that one. Do you have any more thoughts? Yeah, I guess one question comes to mind. I mean, you, you talk about which competencies should we you know are most important to to try and focus on in this context i i wonder if any come to mind for you that are maybe least important that you'd be willing to forego or you know, focus on later down the track oh such a good such a good question i so i everyone that listened to this will penalize me for saying this but i think that trap question i'm sorry <laughs> We need to give up a little bit, let's say, in this environment is maybe this early on initial user testing, let's say, before. I think the, the effect of being, let's say, a few people and to deliver a lot, and also when there is like a very clear, uh, let's say, thing that we, we know that we're building, I think some of this, let's say, early on user validation is maybe, let's say, maybe I would say maybe we don't do it uh, because we already have this set idea of what we are going to build and we're just going to build that because we know it's right let's say from our point of view whereas i maybe let's say in, in a bigger company or let's say with more people there's let's say more resources and time and let's say and capacity to to maybe have those short validations let's say early on i'm thinking um, i think i would i would add to that in i think we in, in early startups, we need to understand the economics of technical debt. There are times where it's better to get things out, to get them validated and get feedback on it um, than building the perfect solution. <clears throat> and, you know, once once we get to a point where we start to have a, a, a product market fit, um, then we can start thinking about paying back some of that technical debt um, so that when things you know, get into the hockey stick mode and really takes off. You're right. Then we can start 
you know, then we can start thinking about how to really scale the product. Um, Question, how important do you feel that, let's say, the team, let's say, the cross-functional team setup is and so on, let's say, early on, how important is it, let's say, to make sure that teams has, let's say, or, or have working, I, I don't mean working, let's say, but the, the, let's say you have the design person, you have the PM, you have the analyst, etc. How important is that in the beginning? Uh, I mean, uh, I guess because things move so fast and, and uh, everyone's roles are so broad, the more you formalize things, the more risk you you create that, uh, you know, you'll stifle speed and innovation. So, I mean, kind of the smaller you are, at, at least for me, it's kind of like you want to be pretty careful about making any rules around processes and, and roles and things like that. And then, you know, those things come with, with scale, then a bit more clarity and you know, process kind of adds value. But the earlier on, it uh, it's more of a risk. So, I'd, and I'm not sure how much value that adds. Yeah, I um, I think it's important to realize that product development is a team sport. Um, and what really good product teams are the ones that are very good at thinking together. So. As a team, we create a shared understanding of our problem space, a shared understanding of our customers, a shared understanding of um, what we need to solve for, etc. Um, and I think, I do think in in an early stage as well as in a later stage, it's very important to have um, teams with diff or members in the teams with different competences so that we can see things from multiple aspects. Now, this might not be formalized in roles, but Product development is a team sport, and we need to take different skill sets into consideration to build a really good product. Um, and also realizing that um, the, the product is the, the sum of our knowledge somehow. You know, when we discuss and when we see the things from different perspectives, we add to what the solution becomes. We add to what the, pro the product becomes. So the more insights that we can get into defining the, the problem and the solution, we, we also build a better product. So um, I think the it, it's important to be multi-skilled in the team context to build a really good product. I, I very much agree. But I agree with you, Ryan, as well, that let's say the more formal we, we become, the, the, the less agile and speedy we will be. But I, I very much agree that, let's say, successful teams is about combination of, let's say, different people, let's say. And one more question, just because I'm so passionate about this. How big is a small startup, let's say, type team? The, the product development organization team no like a team like a cross-functional team like with with all the people that should deliver something let's say i think it depends a little bit on what product you're building um yeah. and a little bit on what a an M mvp for your type of product is um it's different if you're building a website compared to if you're building a new bank new type of bank um, now there's a lot of ideas that you can explore in a small set, um, your product, your tech, your design sort of competences. Um, but I think smaller little depends a little bit on what kind of product you're building. I think you've been very helpful in a way. So let's say not in a way, but you have. So what we, what let's say the question was from my side was let's say how, let's say as a, as a small organization, so what are the, let's say the needed parts, let's say what, what do we absolutely need to do? And what I felt we were, let's say, 
fully, fully, fully aligned on is, let's say, the KPIs and the roadmap more or less and having a vision and, let's say, setting metrics and trying to work towards, let's say, a set goal. And then what I what I feel is that, let's say, it's also important to try to understand how to move there as part of, let's say, product practices. So how do we validate that success? How do we, let's say, work together as a team? How do we get this input from multiple, let's say, people and competences and knowledge? And how do we get it from our customers and so on? And to me, that is, let's say, one of the answers to, to this question that, I mean, establishing, let's say, the product feature, let's say, or the product competence, let's say, in the company is about, let's say, making that this, let's say, end-to-end process is working and that we can move, let's say, from being small teams, that, let's say, delivering MVPs to putting that into, let's say, scale-up type production mode and then, let's say, getting continuous feedback from customers and learning from that. So thank you so much for, for helping to to get to that point. Okay, sounds like you have rounded off nicely there for yourself there, Frederick. Does anyone else have any other comments while well, we still got a little bit? That's a no? Okay, not, not to worry. Well, again, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast and we'll leave it there for today. I'll take this opportunity to thank Ryan, Frederick, Sam, thanks so much for coming down and providing your insights to such a great topic. Um, if you do want to get involved, feel free to reach out to me on either email or LinkedIn. But well, have a fantastic day and thank you very much, very much gents.